Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Mars. Today, a discussion with Sonia Sotomayor. The Associate Supreme Court Justice, the nation's first Hispanic justice, was in St. Louis last week to promote her two books aimed primarily at young people. I interviewed the justice on stage at the Two Hill Performing Arts Center on Umsel's campus before a crowd of some 1,600 people, many of whom were youngsters. The interview was conducted under very stringent ground rules. No discussion of issues of the day was allowed because one day any of them might come before the court. The justice walked out on stage to a standing ovation and sustained applause. John, I wish every child in this room could have the moment of coming out here and seeing all those people in front of them. They love you. Well, I love them. Uh, I have to mention this little bit of housekeeping that we did just before we sat down. Uh, the justice mentioned to me inside that she wanted to move the chairs up so she could be closer to you. <clears throat> Another moment we had backstage as we were waiting to come out was, I think, one that uh, typifies this woman. And I only know her uh, for having met her an hour or so ago, but for having read her books. And I said, when Holland said that uh, she was the first Hispanic associate justice of the Supreme Court, I said, that must have been quite a moment for you. Tell me what you said, Madam Justice. It was more a moment for my community. Yeah. Because they could see that if I made it, they can too. And yeah. I think, uh, once again, that's reflective of uh, the kind of person that we're having the privilege of spending time with tonight. And I consider it a great privilege to have this opportunity to talk to you. Thank you. I grew up in New Jersey. You know, we're, we're almost neighbors. Actually, <laughs> most people think that New Jersey is a suburb of New York. <laughs> Except for those of us who live in New Jersey. I agree. I agree. <laughs> Let's talk about you and your book and the things that you're interested in. Why was it, Madam Justice, that you chose this particular time to reach out to young people? Hmm. Why this particular time? Look, I wrote my parents' book after uh, I was uh, confirmed and placed on the court because it was a dramatic alteration in my life. I was catapulted from being sort of a pretty ordinary person, I still am, but I was catapulted onto a world stage. And as exciting as it is, it's also scary. Mm -hmm. And I was frightened about what could happen to me, to Sonia. Mm -hmm. You know, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I became mm -hmm. very frightened that in this new world, I would lose who I was. And I realized that the only way for me to hang on was to memorialize my life mm -hmm. and to remember so I could never forget how I got to where I was. And hence, my beloved world was born. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a way for me to remember that I didn't achieve what I did by myself, that it was through the love and support of so many people. 
I often decry when I hear people say, I'm self-made. I don't know what that means. Because everybody needs help, and everybody gets it in living life. And so that's how that book was born. But then, after it came out, I have a cousin called Miriam, who's a bilingual education teacher of middle school in uh, Stanford, Connecticut. And she kept insisting that I uh, author a middle school book. Not because she thought middle school students wouldn't read my book, and many have, but because there were a lot of complex times that kids can't yet identify with because they haven't yet gone to college or law school or been in the workplace. And she said a middle school book would be more fun for them. You could tell the stories that might interest kids more. And so the beloved world of Sonia Sotomayor was born. And then once I decided to do that, I wasn't going to let out of the loop um, young readers. And what happened next? Turning pages. <laughs> and this is an illustrated book of my life. And what I found out as I was writing it and as I talked to kids about it, even if you're in middle school and maybe even if you're an adult, it might help you to read this illustrated book and then read the other books. Why? Because you see the real pictures of my life. And as important as I think words are in creating pictures in your mind, I think it's wonderful to see the pictures of my actual life. And at the same time, and in every version of a book that I will author, my books come out in English and in Spanish. My Beloved World did. The Middle School book. The Beloved World of Sonia Sotomayor will. And the reason for all of these books, and maybe right now, is on page two of the middle school book. It's also in the adult book. And I'll read the line so people will understand it. People, and people you know includes children, right? Who live in difficult circumstances need to know that happy endings are possible. My life hasn't been always easy. And yet, I succeeded. From where I started, poverty, coming and learning English later in my school years because I spoke Spanish at home first, having diabetes, losing my father. These have been some difficult times, and yet difficult times existed. But I'm now a justice of the Supreme Court. People who live in tough moments, and we all have tough moments. We all have moments where we fail. We all experience losses in our life. But we always have to have hope. And that's my message in these times, mm -hmm. which is no matter how hard the times are, we have to have hope. These these are indeed complex times, and I think we all have a lot of hope. Um, 
I thought maybe you had some concern that, about this world that these young people are growing into. Well, us adults have done a pretty terrible job, haven't we? Yeah. 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 We really haven't fixed all the problems. And we're leaving a lot of them for kids. And so kids are our future. And they are our greatest hope for a better future. That's why I do what I do. That's why these children's books came out. Because I want them to do a better job than we have. And so for me, yes, the times are tough. We don't do enough. And one of the other messages that I uh, deliver repeatedly is remember your civic obligations. And that means being involved in your communities. A better world doesn't happen. It gets made. And it gets made by people who care enough to go out there and change the things you don't like. And so for me, civic responsibility is my message and one that I spend a lot of time trying to deliver and get people excited about going back out and doing their civic duty. All that begins in the home. Yes. And I would like you to talk for a couple of moments about your home. We know that you had a difficult childhood. You were not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. But you stress in your book so much about family and family love and family togetherness and family cooperation. Talk about that for a moment or two, your mom and your grandmother. You know, I don't think any family life is perfect. Um, as you know from my book, mine wasn't perfect despite all the love. I had a dad who had a condition that he couldn't fight. He drank too much. And that drinking led to a lot of arguments between him and my mother. And that part of my childhood created a lot of unhappiness. Yet despite that, I knew my mother loved me. I knew my father loved me. I knew my father had a weakness and one that he couldn't fight. Some people can, but he didn't. And it ultimately caused his death when I was nine years old because he had a heart condition and the drinking complicated that condition. But love can overcome a lot. And what I was really taught was the loyalty of family, the willingness to work hard, to respect each other and care for each other. You know, one of my longest memories as a child was my mother by my bedside on hot summer days. We lived in a housing project where there were no air conditioning. And I suffer from heat. It's pretty amazing. My family comes from a tropical island. <laughs> and I don't tolerate heat very well. And I would sweat through all of those hot nights. And my mother would be at my bedside with a pot of ice water and a towel wiping my brow until I could fall asleep. That's an act of love. And yes, family teaches you loyalty, caring, 
and sacrifice. Because my mom had to go to work the next day. And despite that, she stayed up to care for me. And those are the sort of commitment to community that I got taught as a child. Yet you and your mom had differences. That's not very unusual with mothers and daughters. <laughs> I'm led to believe. Are there any perfect relationships in their house? <laughs> what, what advice do you have about the mother-daughter relationship? It took years for my mom and I to trust each other enough to really talk honestly about our feelings. I spent years resentful at some of the things that she had done when I was a child, angry. And it wasn't until I summoned the courage to say to her, you know, you did this to me and it hurt me. Why did you do it? And she explained it. And sometimes I would say, I wish I had known that then before I got angry. And sometimes my mom said in turn to me, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. And it was that shared ability to admit that we had both made mistakes in our relationship that let us heal and that let us come together. How did all of this inform your role as a jurist later in life? I tell everybody, I got introduced today as the first Latina justice. But I'm just a justice. And I'm a justice with a lot of life experience. And all of them are a piece of who I am. Sonia's not just a Latina. She is just not having a person raised in Catholic school a person who went to Ivy League schools, a person who was a prosecutor, who defended big European companies in private practice, who was a district and circuit court judge. Not one experience defines me. Not one of them makes me Sonia. They each contribute as a whole to making me who I am and who that's given me my perspective of the law. So I can't really tell you that it was one thing in my life or one experience I had that you can use to predict how I'll come out in any one case. It's too complex an issue. None of us are one thing. But to the extent that I have chosen to open myself to the public, to tell the story of my life, to share my vulnerabilities, to make myself accessible to people. I think that that's a product of my life. That's Associate Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor and me talking last week in front of an audience of 1,600 people. More of that conversation in just a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University offering world-class education within reach. And welcome back. We return to my onstage conversation with Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor, who was in town last week promoting her children's books. 
what has driven you? I mean, something drove you to amazing success. Everything you did, everything you touched, you went right to the top, right to the head of the class, if you will. Something was driving you to do that. Well, it is one thing, but I tell people that it's something that I didn't need to have, but I do. I'm sort of stuck with it. Um, but they don't need to have it to take the lesson. When I was first diagnosed with diabetes, I was seven and a half years old. And the treatment for diabetes then, this is not true today, so nobody with diabetes should be scared today. But back then, the treatment was very, very primitive. And because of that, my life expectancy at that time was very short. And for me, that really became my motivation for living life to its fullest. I actually thought that I wasn't going to make it past age 40. So I had to hurry up and fill my life with as much as I could do. So I was one of those kids, starting from high school, who I went to school Monday through Friday, I became involved in all sorts of student activities. I worked Saturday and Sunday, but I partied Friday night and Saturday night. <laughs> and I still do that. Um, I squeeze out of every minute of living as much as I can. And even after I learned that I have a normal life expectancy, barring some unforeseen circumstance, I've still kept up that belief, which is life is precious. It's something that we should savor and fill with good and interesting things. It's a life that we should spend every moment Thinking about two things, it's the two questions I ask myself every night before I go to bed. The first one is, what did I learn you today? Now there are some days where I've been lazy and I've done nothing, and a lot more days, unfortunately, where I've been sitting at my desk writing an opinion or doing something else, and I haven't really learned something new. So before I go to sleep, I take one of the articles that's by my bedside and I read it. I clip them out and put them by my bedside so I can answer yes to that question that day. <laughs> and the second question that I ask myself, what good thing have I done today? Not for me, but for someone else. And again, some days I'm stuck at my desk all day and I don't really reach out. And I sit there and I go, who do I know, who do I love, that is sick or has had a loss in their life, or who I think would feel better if I sent them an email, or even if I picked up the phone. And that's what I do. It doesn't have to be big things every day, but even little things make your own life and that of others better. And so that's what motivates me. You don't need diabetes to understand that. And you don't need diabetes or any other condition 
to motivate you to take the most you can out of living. We had asked some of the young people in the audience to uh, write questions for oh, you. Oh, no, that can't, we're too soon well, at no, that. No, 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 this is relating to okay. diabetes. I wanted to bring it in here while okay. you were talking about it, because Noli, I hope I pronounced her name correctly, also has type 1 diabetes. Oh, where, where's Noli? Is she here? Yeah. Oh, I can't see you. So can somebody try? Could you come out to the aisle and make it easier for me? All right. Now, let me tell you one thing. I like getting close to people. So I'm getting off this stage, and I'm going to come walk around. But you'll see all around here, there are these people in suits. <laughs> they got these little things in their ears. They're marshals. They're here to protect me from myself. <laughs> They don't like me doing this, I do it anyway. But it's on one condition, that you stay seated. Because if you jump up, they get nervous, okay? So let's be nice to them. I'll come wander around. I'll take a picture with Noli if somebody has a camera to take the picture with, okay? But you can ask the question as I'm getting downstairs. Well, you've answered most of it with uh, what it was like. <laughs> what it was like growing up with diabetes, but she asks, was it scary? Ah, uh, take this with me. I'm not going to take offense to the fact that you like to be close to people as you're walking <laughs> away from me. <laughs> I stayed with you a long time, Don. I like you. My love, when I was first diagnosed with diabetes, I was in the hospital, and the lab technician took out a needle that was, it seemed this long to me, okay? And he said, I'm gonna take out your blood. It doesn't hurt a lot. And he kept bringing the needle closer and closer and closer. And I looked at the needle, I looked at him and I said, no. <laughs> and I got off the chair. It was a very small hospital. My mother worked there. And I ran out the front door and I ran under a car. It took six people to drag me out from the under the car. I was very, very scared. And I was more scared because a lot of people in my life, like my grandmother, they were scared. And I could see it in their face. And so it scared me more. But you know how I found courage? I loved comic books. And I learned about Superman and Batman. And I learned about a little, well, she wasn't so little, a girl called Supergirl. She had a lot of power and she had a lot of courage. And I thought, maybe I should be like Supergirl. And I should have courage too. And I should give myself a shot. And that's what I did. I imagined myself like Supergirl. And I started giving myself my own needles. So 
It's not easy. It's not easy being healthy. It's not easy being a diabetic. But you know something? I do everything everybody else does. Nothing stops me, and nothing will stop you. You can check her own blood sugar. You can. Uh-huh. Where is I have a continuous glucose monitor, and that's my number. You see that number? It's 116. That's, that's awesome. pretty perfect. <laughs> that's pretty perfect. Okay. She's got so, hers on, too. All right. We both have to do the same thing. And I'll tell you something. It does get easier. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Can we take your picture? Here, you too. We have some questions from young people, as I had indicated, Madam Justice. And while you're out there with the folks, maybe you'd like to uh, to answer some of them. Go ahead. Everett is seven years old. He lives in Fenton, and his question is: What type of books do you like to read? Oh, everything. Sometimes I pick up bad books. <laughs> but I have to finish every book I start. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Um, but I love science fiction. I love Harry Potter. <laughs> I love dragons. I also read some serious things, so I read a lot of law books. Right now, I'm reading a book about the people who nobody in this room probably knows about. Leaders who signed a peace treaty in 1928 that said that war was illegal. Up until then, that wasn't the law of nations. And according to this book, I've just started it, okay, that treaty changed the world's attitude towards war. So that's a serious book. So I read some serious books too, okay? But I even read thrillers, legal thrillers, believe it or not. (laughs) I try to guess who the guilty party is at the end. (laughs) And sometimes I guess right. I'll admit I guess right more often than not. Um, But at any rate, I like reading everything. You see, if you want to be a good lawyer and a good judge, you should be curious about everything in the world. Because everything everybody does in this world, whatever job they have, whatever scientific discovery they make, whatever anybody does, if they have a problem with it, Where do they end up? In court. (laughs) And because of that, the best lawyers I know, and most judges, are people with great curiosity and with a great interest in learning about things just for the sake of learning about them. And I think that's what makes the most interesting people, too. And so for me, Reading is my ability to learn more about the world. That's Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor, who joined me last week at the Two Hill on Umsel's campus in front of some 1,600 people, many of whom were children. 
Sotomayor was in town to promote her children's books. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.